Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age. So parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Every parent wants their child to be successful. And I know you do, which is really why you're listening to this podcast. You want the best education experience for your child. That's the frustrating part. So many of us put faith in the traditional school system because, well, let's be honest, it was the one that we went through. No one really showed us real alternatives for our families. Now, at some point, you'll have to decide on post-secondary education for your kids as well. And, you know, that's a pretty big life-changing decision. So my guest today doesn't want you and your children to feel trapped once again with just one option. You really need to understand all of the options in order to make an informed, confident decision. What if you knew not one or two, but 12 viable options to college and university? Would that be important to you? Well, that's why I think it's incredibly important that you listen to today's guest. S.J. Barakovi works one-on-one with parents who are dissatisfied with their kids' educational journey. He starts to show them what is truly possible. He then guides them to create a solution that's tailor-fit to their needs. Now, already he's served dozens of families, individuals, and businesses over the past six years in the educational space. He's done it as a mentor, a consultant, facilitator, and advisor. And before that, nearly three years as a life and family coach. More than that, he's just really incredibly fascinating. He's like a walking encyclopedia of knowledge about education. And he's really steeped in the history of how education has evolved, as well as where it's going. So you're in for a real treat today. SJ, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate the very kind and uh, thoughtful introduction, Jerry. And it's a pleasure to be here. Well, kind and thoughtful are are definitely two words that I would uh, describe you as, SJ. You definitely um, have a real heart for, for people in, in our earlier conversation, and I'm excited. I get a, a chance to, to dive even deeper with you today. So one thing I wanted to ask you first is, well, how, how are you doing these days? Like, what's, how, How's life for you? I have found life to be equivalent to uh, Darren Hardy wrote a book a number of years ago called The Entrepreneur Rollercoaster. <laughs> And he said that, and again, this is about a 75,000 foot level view, but he basically said that when you're in business for yourself, you're entrepreneurial, sometimes you're going to feel like you're on a roller coaster, but it's about the ride and it's about the exhilaration and it's about the excitement and maybe even a little bit of the fear, you know, and that's how it's been over the last eight or so months since the world was tipped upside down, since we're recording this during the time we are, Jerry. But I wouldn't truly want to trade it because the life I led before this 
going back even further than the nine years, was a life of where I was more of a mercenary working merely for money than a missionary working for something far bigger than me. Yeah, this really is about the journey. That's thanks. You know, for a lot of us, we're, we're all uh, we're all dealing with a lot of things. So it's it's I love that metaphor of you know just enjoying the ride. It's there's just lots of ups and downs all along the way. So tell me, how how did you get interested in the field of education? Because you mentioned you were you were doing some very different things up until uh, a while ago. What got you interested in the field of education? Great question. There's a couple moving parts there, or you may want to use the visual for your audience and, you know, for those who are listening, is look at it as knitting a quilt, you know, or, you know, or a tapestry. Since I'm a historian, the Bayou Tapestry comes to mind, where you look at how beautiful that thing is, and you realize it took a lot of things went into it. Well, what got me interested was several converging things. First, I look back since I had stalled out in corporate life and I was literally going nowhere fast. And I realized that I couldn't have been the only one dealing with this because most people, when you get into that teenage years and early 20s, you are taught that you need to go and get another certification, another credential. But here's the issue with that. What, the, what you're not told oftentimes is that when you present that credential to a hiring entity, usually they say, okay, that's great, but what's your experience? Or where's your next credential? So in other words, you end up almost like proverbial chasing a tail, okay? Or you're in a maze and you still haven't found the door at the end. So that was my first indicator that something needed to be different. Another that strikes me looking back is I look back and I was introduced to my first mentor about 10 and a half years ago from when we're recording this. And he taught me that in order to become who I was destined to be, I needed to become a student again, but this time there wasn't a credential being dangled at the end of the fishing line. This time, the reward was serving other people and becoming a better version of who I am. And that was powerful enough to me to be willing to do it to the point that I'll give you a brief example of what I did in order to continue this is I took well over 100 DVDs that I had put my hard-earned money into from when I was still conventionally employed, Jerry, and I traded in about 90, 95 of them for books. And it changed everything for me because I was starting to read now and I was being mentored by people in some cases who had been passed away for many years. So I not only had a live mentor, but I now had book mentors. And then I started to attend events and various other things, podcasts, webinars, watched videos online, et cetera. That was, a, that was the second part of the answer to your question. And then I'd say the third part was I looked at three years almost of doing family life coaching, and I, I had married that to leadership development. 
it was the first venture I did after corporate life. And I actually ran it in parallel with corporate life to make sure that I was prepared. I didn't want to jump off the end of the Grand Canyon here in America without having a parachute. <laughs> Even with the roller coaster, you still need you know, that safety bar on top. Exactly. You know, you don't want to jump on a roller coaster without a safety bar. You wouldn't last too long, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I look back at who I had been working with, and admittedly, as a side gig, it certainly wasn't a ton of people, but I was noticing something. And I was noticing that a lot of the people who were looking for support through a coaching or a leadership development process were lacking in people soft and life skills. And they were lacking in that drive to be a better version of themselves or a lifelong student, you can call it. So that combined with some of those books that I had read, which I had, again, traded for a bunch of DVDs, including John Taylor Gatto's book and of several others, led me to the fact that, aha, there's the real mission I had. My true mission, my true calling, my vocation was going to be in the educational space as an entrepreneur and marrying those two things together. Awesome. And just for everyone listening, what's, what's the name of the John Taylor Gatto book that was so transformational for you? He's written several, but your audience, one you may want to start with, and the others, I'm not saying that they're not worth it. Trust me, his work is fantastic. But the one I personally read was Dumbing Us Down. Awesome. Yeah, I, I haven't read that one either, so I'll add that to, add that to my list. One of the things I, I really enjoyed about you and our previous conversation was really just your depth of knowledge around how education has really evolved, particularly how we've gotten to what we have today. And I think it's really helpful and enlightening to understand some of the, I guess, some of the motivating principles, factors that basically created what we, what most kids experience. I'd love for you just to kind of take us down history lane for a bit of a moment and just share with how, how do we get to where we are and, and what is school really designed to do from the research that you've done? That is, that is a very incisive question. And I'm a big believer, uh, Jerry, in, I read a book called, and this was part of those many books I purchased, it's called The Laws of Lifetime Growth. And I think it's number nine, if I remember right out of the 10, was make your questions bigger than your answers. So if you are a parent listening to this, or you're a grandparent, or you're a student, yourself, you're a business owner, you know, you're a nonprofit leader, etc. My hope over the next few minutes as I answer this a little further is to say, ask big questions. Always know what is going on deeper than the surface level of the water. So here's a few thoughts on this in this area, and there's a lot here. It could take hours to dive in really deeply, so we won't be able to do that today on this appearance. But the first thing to keep in mind that I would say is look at the historical definition through the, Greek and, the Greeks and the Romans, especially through antiquity, what they, how they delivered education to their citizenry, to their uh, civilization. To my best knowledge, and if there's someone who ends up listening to this as a classics professor that may have found something differently, I'll certainly be willing to hear it out. But as far as I can tell, they were not awarding credentials. Okay. So that's something to keep in mind is you have to dig that deep going back a couple millennia. 
Then as you bring it further, you understand that education for many, many years through a number of European civilizations was the province of only the wealthy. And you got to wonder why weren't the rest of society given the opportunity to be educated? And there was a lot of answers to that, that you can dig in through a bunch of historical books, right? But then let's bring it all the way up a little bit more recent. So in Germany, the predecessor of Germany was one of the nation states was Prussia. And the Prussians had um, a monarchy in place. And the Kaiser, Wilhelm, was looking for something to help with his citizenry, with his population, to turn them into more of more homogenous, more of you might call it groupthink or more collective instead of being more indiv- individualistic. And he landed on using a system where you put the youngest members of society into a classroom and you took them through a bunch of steps, which ended up eventually being called grade levels. And it ended up doing exactly what he thought, which was something that certain North American folks noticed. And they ended up borrowing this philosophy and brought it across the Atlantic. Okay. And the issue that I see with that is they brought it across the Atlantic, not thinking it was per se maybe better than what was already here, which was a very localized, decentralized system of delivering education in the colonies. And then eventually into the very early United States, let alone up in Canada and such. But it was, they felt like this would help with their plans and what they felt like America and other Western nations should be. And I think that is instructive. So if you're a parent or grandparent or student, you got to be wondering, is that really what I think is a good fit for the modern economy? You know, is that a good fit for my family? Is that a good fit for the people I want to hire if I'm in business or if I have some other nonprofit? And I don't think it works anymore. So the goal here is to say, look at history through the lens of who are the people that do X and what is their true intent? And I would say these folks were looking to take society and turn it into a new version of class levels where the most favored people like in Europe under a lot of the monarchies that they had were getting the very best education, but everyone else was either deprived entirely or given an inferior version. And I think that is something that is not well taught to the vast majority of families out there. And I think hopefully All the research that I've done and other thought leaders out there who helped inform me and others who are active in the present, just hear them out and understand that if I'm a family right now and I'm looking at options, I would think that you'd want to look at options that will uplift and make and create upward mobility rather than look at a system that's heyday was several hundred years ago and was more intending 
to create class levels. So that is some of the history. And certainly, Jerry, we can go much deeper, but time won't let us go there. Right. <laughs> but, but hopefully that gives you a flavor of what I've uncovered over the last six years. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really, it was really helpful. And as you said, it's, it's really about, you know, being informed to the, to the degree of under, just understanding every, every system is designed to create a certain kind of output. And, and as you point out, the kind of output in schools we know today, yeah, it doesn't really fit with, with what any of our kids want to be in the future. Not that there isn't a lot of value, no, there's a lot of good things in, in school and there's tons of great value there as well. But ultimately it's, it's not, it's not geared towards for a lot of the parents listening right now, what they really want to see for their, their kids, right? Where they're, they're creative and innovative self-starters and just able to engage and contribute in, in society. For some, it works great, but for, for a lot, it doesn't. Yeah. So we'll definitely include some, some links to some of the, some of the, some great reading that you've, that you've got. So if, if people want to dive in further. So I'd love to, to, to build on that as well, because, you know, I think part of the challenge and the frustration when I talk to, you know, a lot of other entrepreneurs, parents is, yeah, they're, you know, for a lot of them, they are frustrated with that, what's, what's going on right now. And I think the pandemic has really helped to show for many that the emperor does have no clothes as Jen Sutherland, a guest of mine was, was saying during our conversation, right? You know, they're, they're not happy with what's there, but it's kind of like, well, what else can we do, right? Sometimes they just kind of feel trapped. It's not like anyone is showing them viable alternatives that could, could work for their family. So I know one, one of the things that, that caught my, my eye when you were suggesting things we could talk about is, you know, the, the 12 alternatives to college and education, which, you know, college education are in so many ways the only option that a lot of parents see, right? Or at least, you know, the, the best option. They're doing a good job as a parent if, if you know, they're paying for and, and sending their kids off to this higher education. So take, take us down that path a little bit. You know, what are some of the alternatives that parents really ought to be aware of so that they can, you know, make, help their kids make the best choice for their future? No, absolutely. Thank you for asking. That's a great question because the previous question was more on those what you'd call K to 12 primary and secondary years. So now let's advance the ball forward. So something that I think is important, we'll start with a fundamental that I think is, again, it's, it goes in that tradition of asking really big questions. So here's the question that I would pose to your audience. Are, are you sending your kids, grandkids, and or think about your own experience when you may have gone through this system? Were you in higher or higher education? And no, I didn't just repeat myself. There's actually two types of higher, okay? First is you spell it H-I-G-H-E-R which is where most people hear and see how it's spelled. And that is what you think you're getting 100% of the time, but not the case. Then there is H-I-R-E, higher education. Now, I can't take credit for this concept or this dichotomy, Jerry, but when I learned it along that journey that we spoke of in a previous question, it really crystallized for me. 
So here's the thing when you're looking at the upwards of the 12 alternatives, the parallel option. Higher H-I-G-H-E-R is about making you a better version of yourself and teaching you higher order skills, which I would say the vast majority of those higher order skills are soft, they're interpersonal, they're life readiness, okay? Teaching you all the many paths that you can take with your life because your life does not have to go down one path. Robert Frost even taught us in one of his all-time best-known poems that there's two roads that diverge in the forest. But the issue we've had in a lot of Western nations, and of course I can speak primarily of America as in the United States, is we've gotten, I'll call it a watered-down version of higher education called H-I-R-E, where it's all about career tracking. And it's like, well, if we put you in a classroom for four years, roughly, we're going to prepare you for your career. Okay. That is not the true intent of what education really should be. And the term that has arisen that more parents need to understand is called degree signaling. You are signaling what a piece of paper known as a degree, a credential that you have signaled to the aspiring careerist, you've signaled that you supposedly have skills that will help you with career A, B, C, or D. But the problem is the economy is moving so fast and things are happening so quickly and there's enough knowledge being created day to day anymore where literally last week it's almost obsolete already, that that's the HIRE version. So when you are looking at the alternatives, here's a few you want to look at. First of all, We need a lot more entrepreneurs in our respective societies. So you should not stand in the way of your kids or grandkids or any other youth for that matter when it comes to entrepreneurship. I did a talk once that said entrepreneurship has no age barrier. So don't make some artificial barrier. I mean, I actually have a program that I'm personally aware of, which can help a kid as young as age six or seven start a real business. So. That's the first parallel option. Second, that I would point at among the 12 is, is at least here in, in this country where I am, and I'm sure other countries as well, we need more people who understand the trades. Because unless you want to be plumbing your own toilet, framing your own house, wiring your own electricity, and various other trades of that nature, If your AC goes out in the summer or your heat goes out in the winter, you're going to have to take care of it all by yourself. We need more people in the trades. And a lot of those people make a whole lot more money and they have a lot more impact in society. And we cannot let the elites with their classist approach, which they brought over from Europe, as I explained earlier, we can't let them treat these people as any less than what they are. And they're very valuable members of society. Yeah, absolutely. You know? Thank you for the acknowledgement there. Another couple that I'll point at before we move on from this question, because there's a lot of meat on these bones. I was just going to say too, SJ, just, just on the, on the, on the trade side, please. You know, I don't, I don't know what it's like in in the U S but, but here in Canada, I see, you know, news articles all the time talking about how like a lot of the people who've been in trades are are getting up in years, right? Like they're retiring and like we have have a steel plant here where I live and they're working now with local colleges and one on these training programs because they're, you're getting desperate for people to, to, to work in the trades. Electricians is one that comes to mind. So, I mean, not only is it 
hugely valuable and, and, and important. But really, at, in this day and age, when everyone's perhaps trying to do everything through a, a desktop screen or, or you know, change to a desk, there's, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. If it's something you enjoy, it's, there's no reason you can't take advantage. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that anecdote because there's a lot of stories down here south of the border since, you know, America is absolutely no different. So that's absolutely a, an absolutely fantastic thing. And again, if you're listening to this podcast of Jerry's, please take this into account and don't use that classist aristocratic approach that these people aren't important to society because Adam Smith and the Wealth of Nations taught us that when you have a very vibrant civil society with a strong foundation, there's this division of labor. And the division of labor, there's people that have gifts and skills and interests and dreams and passions in various different things. And we should not treat them as any less important. And unfortunately, a lot of the people that brought over these systems from other European nations and such, including Prussia, as I mentioned earlier, they, for whatever reason, don't look at the trades and these people that do these positions as as valuable. And I think that's very sad, you know, and then. A couple other quick ones I'll share before we move on is there's these trends going on right now called mild and hot unbundling, where you take a conventional credential and you unbundle it to a certain degree because one of the big problems we have here in this country is we have way too much higher education debt. So if you unbundle a degree to where you can take just what you need in order to be able to get what you want out of your career, out of your professional life, why are you sitting for four years, three years, five years, six years in a classroom? Because time is the most valuable asset that you can never replace. So mild unbundling says you unbundle it to a certain level, and hot unbundling says you really take a lot off that conventional degree, and you take just what you need. And you do it more in a just-in-time approach, and you may even do it as more of a micro-credentialing, where you just get a handful of things that you need in order to get where you need to go. So those are two of the other parallels that exist. I'd like to doodle on that one a little bit more. What are, what are some ways that, that you can do that? I mean, to me, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, when I think back to my university days, like I would say about 75% of what I took was utter crap. I mean, like not relevant, not necessarily interesting, not super helpful. So how, do, how can one you know, kind of get to the meaty stuff, right? Where it's Thanksgiving here in the U.S. So how do, how do we get to the, the juicy, uh, tender part of the turkey <laughs> with the stuffing on the side? No, I love that. I lo- great, great analogy. I love it. Thank you. I would say you're going to want to do some deeper research here. And you need to look at the more cutting-edge institutions that are arising that may not have the name brand of, and I'm just going to throw out a couple of them, you know, it may not have the name brand of University of Pennsylvania or USC, you know, University of Southern California, etc. It may not have the name brand, Jerry, but what they're doing is they're saying, okay, we are going to offer, and in these times probably be virtual, but There should be a time in the future we can get back in person, hopefully sooner rather than later. And we're going to offer just the meat off the bone. You know, we're going to offer, you know, the um, 
the stuff that really matters. And we're going to keep it as relevant as possible to the economy. Because one of the biggest problems we're having right now with this HIRE approach, which is this watered down version of higher ed, is we have such huge misalignment between workforce development and what these people that are actually hiring, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or a larger entity, truly need in order to get to that next level in their in their chosen in their um, in their profession in their industry in their sector, right? Do you, so, do, you, do you have a few examples you can just kind of throw out of places that are doing things differently? Yes, there's one to keep an eye on, and it's called On Deck. O N D E C K. They are working at reinventing the university. So that's one that I will point out. Another is an entity known as Mind Valley. Mind Valley is reinventing and reimagining the higher ed experience. So those are two that come immediately to mind. And I'd have to dig a little deeper for a few others. But I'll hang my hat for now, Jerry, on those two. But I can promise you there's others out there that are saying, okay, the conventional university had its heyday primarily in the 20th century. We are now in the second decade, or depending on how you count, third decade almost of the 21st century. So we now got to look at either they need to reinvent themselves, reimagine, and, you know, and look at things very, very differently through a futurist lens, or they're going to be left behind entirely. And Mind Valley and On Deck are just two. Yeah, I could throw out a couple more in there that I'm aware of too. My my research, like your your point is really valid. There's there's a lot of interesting alternatives that are starting to pop up. Lambda School is one that I know of where they they basically take you it's kind of like a more of an apprenticeship model. I guess what I'm seeing more now these days is so I guess in some ways it's an HRE type model, but it's it's very focused on a very specific result in a short amount of time. You know, so you you walk out with with the, some skills and knowledge to to do something that's highly sought after, and you don't even pay upfront with Lambda School. So essentially, as you get once you get your employment, then you start to you start to pay it back, which is really really fascinating, especially in today's times, right, where money's so tight. And even like companies like Google now are all kind of offering like a, a six month, I believe, alternative to a traditional four year degree. And with promises of internships and whatnot, when when that's all done and and really geared into, really geared into different companies are looking for for people who who need those kinds of skills. So kind of like perhaps a, a trades approach, but but more in um, more in like the high tech stuff. So yeah, it's exciting to see these different things popping up. Absolutely, and actually, since you prompted me, and this is the cool thing about when you're talking with someone who's very knowledgeable like you are, Jerry, is I just thought of one more and then we'll leave it for now, is it just popped up because you said something, is Praxis. P-R-A-X-I-S. Praxis is saying we are going to shorten, we are going to essentially, and I would probably call them closer to hot unbundling than they are to mild. They're going to take off and just focus on roughly 12 to 18 months. So think about that. Average conventional accredited HIRE education is what, 48 months, right? So 12, let's just say it's closer to 12. That means 75% of that 20th century model has been stripped away. And it's focusing on just getting these folks out there to be value adders 
problem solvers in society versus sitting in a classroom for upwards of four years, or in some cases, these bigger institutions sometimes take five or six because you can't get all the classes in time. So we are going through some major transformation right now, and I'm very, very excited by it. And if there is one positive of this COVID coronavirus era, it's the brick is on the accelerator. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> you know, actually, I was just thinking about something and I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine recently. I mean, her, her daughter's looking at going to the university the next, next fall and whatnot. And I'm starting to start introduce her to some other possibilities and whatnot, having some really interesting conversations. And she brings up a really rel- a relevant point that I think a lot of us who went through the university system can, can relate to that was valuable. And that was just that whole ex- that life-changing experience, you know, you're going away from, from home, perhaps for the first time, you know, you're, you're look, having to look after your own schedule and, you know, feeding yourself if you're not in a residence or whatever, and just kind of those, those life-changing experiences that a post-secondary, you know, schooling can provide. What do you feel about that side of like the value of a post-secondary? And, and if, what are, what are some ways that if you don't do that, you could still, you know, gain some of that? I guess, life transition, which is also really valuable. That is a great, great point. And if you are just like this lady out there listening to this and you've downloaded this episode, something that I want to point out is personally speaking and the family advising and the mentoring that I do, I am, I don't want to ever come across as being anti anything, aka anti college university. But what I am anti is using this system as a feeder approach where you come out of primary and secondary K to 12 and you automatically have to go to this. That is what I am anti. But now as you look at it through this different lens, okay, you're being sent off to maybe the adjoining metro area, maybe across the nation. In my case, when I went to college, to a university, I was about two hours away from where my parents were. But either way, it's that experience of attempting to grow up because you may have been the only child like I, I was, or you might have been in a family of 10 kids, and you may not have had that chance to do that. One way you can, one way you can overcome this is you can do travel learning where you, where you travel. And obviously right now, as this is being recorded, that's a little harder, and I totally get that. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling that. I would hope at some point in the next year, and again, this is being recorded at a time that I don't have those answers, but that travel will be a freer process. So travel learning would be a great way to work around this to where you take the funding that as a family you were going to put into conventional higher ed, and chances are you didn't realize that it was being H-I-R-E, so to get the H-I-G-H-E-R, the travel learning would provide that because you can get a passport, you can travel to nations, you can maybe take a second language, or you can become a digital nomad, and you can basically take advantage of the fact that you got these really cool places like Airbnb, for example, one of several models that says you can live in a certain area for a brief amount of time. Or you can use a travel learning program through a conventional institution if they allow you to leverage that. Like the university I went to has a lot of different affiliations 
outside of the uh, United States, right? So that would be the best answer to that question that this lady asked you, Jerry, is look into travel learning. I think that's really great. And another quick example, and they can sort of overlap a little bit, is looking at gap years. You know, maybe you take a year and you immerse yourself in something. Okay. And that something might be maybe it's a family business and you dive into the family business for a year and you see, do I have the entrepreneurial desire to run my own business? So that's another way you can do it. And you might even live with a family member or something. And again, learn these life ready skills that HIRE education does not provide because it's a degree signal and it's not really organic education. You know, you really have a lot of possibilities for me right now as we're talking. Yeah, I think it's it's important to step back and look at you know, what what is important about that. What are what is as you talk about like higher H I G H E R type education? What are the, what are the formulative things that we're trying to provide for our kids and see that? Yeah, there is there is a lot of different ways. Even like I, I know that there's a lot of like Rotary up here, is which a, a nonprofit organization. They have like this, these exchanges, right? So you can live with another family or, or sometimes there's like three different families in another country for, for quite some time. You know, there's it's a lot of different ways to, you know, experience that kind of life. And then I, I know there's, there's, there's some, there's some uh, like places like Bali and whatnot. There's some really interesting communities and schools that, that welcome people to, to be a part of that for a certain amount of time. So I'm thinking I'm going to, I'm going to have to, Put together another another resource guide. I've got a, a bunch of them that I'm working on. <laughs> I'll have to get a, a resource guide. Um, maybe you and I can collaborate on it for you know how to, how to really how to really um, figure out your path for, for post secondary. I think, I think we could have a lot of fun doing that. Oh, no question. Because as we moved into the 21st century, I think a lot of folks, and this covers a lot of different nations, a lot of different countries. So I'm not speaking just of America or the United States here. But a lot of nations were, for whatever reason, using the 21st, or I'm sorry, using the 20th century playbook. And when the internet went democratic and hit the masses and uh, went, you know, crossed the chasm, as Jeffrey Moore taught, that changed everything, especially. And then when the economy moved out of more of an industrial economy into an information digital economy, I would now say it's the independent workforce slash gig economy now, which is a sequel to that even. The problem was, is we were using a 20th century playbook and we were not even realizing that all these options existed. And then as travel became easier for that matter, too, there's just so much excitement out there. There's so many opportunities. You just got to open your mind. Well, and, and, and to know what they are, right? I think that's the biggest thing is when I, when I talk to parents, is it's just really hard to, to sift through all this stuff. Yeah, the Internet's great, but it's full of like billions of pages of you know, results in your Google search. So uh, I think people like you and I, it's, it's really our responsibility to make that easier for people, right? So that, you know, they can focus on what is the right fit once they know what, what the options are. So you, you and I got some homework to do. Absolutely. And that's a, it's a pleasure of mine because here's the thing. I've actually, you know, there's a term called a Sherpa, right? You know, a lot of, maybe some of your audience have heard the term, right? A Sherpa is a guide. And I like to say in many respects, I'm an educational Sherpa. A thought leader, servant leader, is to say, hey, I realize that you may not even know where to begin, you know, and that's okay because 
there's a lot more information than there was when I was surfing the internet as a 20 something over 20 years ago. So Jerry, you're absolutely correct. And that's why, that's why there are people like us out there. So um, it's a pleasure to be able to uh, serve and solve for people. Yeah, it, just, it just makes so much sense why, you, you know, I love that term Sherpa, you know, it's cause it's, I mean, we have, we have coaches for sports. We have, I mean, anything that's important in life, we, there's typically someone guiding us through that to some degree. I mean, a lot of it is self-discovery as well, which is super important. So I'd love to shift into that. That's actually the next part I wanted to, to talk to you about is, is kind of how do you, in your work, how do you help? What's your path for helping families figure out the right path for them? What does that, what does that look like? Because business should be as simple as possible, you want to look at it and keep the um, onboarding as, you know, as feasible for people, right? And the first thing that I focus on is just the introduction. Usually, because I'm very blessed, Jerry, to have built a very large network, usually I'm introduced to the people directly. So I don't even have to do the proverbial putting them in a top of a funnel type approach, you know, or, or using social media, for example. So it all starts with the introduction. And I want to focus primarily in that introduction on who are you as a family or as an individual student? And why did you even want to talk to me? You know, what's the why going on? You know, Simon Sinek taught us the incredible importance of why. And then I add who as well. So who are you? Can you describe yourself to me without using professional terms like I work for X or I am an accountant or something? Can you describe yourself without using professional designators? And that speaks really well of you. If you can describe yourself with five, six words without mentioning what you do, that's a real big asset test right there. Because the schooling approach, the degree signaling approach, the HIRE approach has taught people to focus so much on what they do. And I think it's a dead end for a lot of people. And they've built the equivalent of an electronic fence like they use for their own pets around their own life because they focus on what. So that's where it starts. Second is I offer upwards of two hours of my time to consult with whomever it is. And in that two hours, I have two main steps. Actually, well, now that I think about three. First is a very basic intake to get some very high-level information. Second is a 10-question assessment that I use. And it's not meant to be scientific. It just helps me to narrow it down a little bit. And then third is I offer a proposal for what I believe will be able to help you your family, you as an individual to get where you want to go and to provide this information that you may not even know exists. Maybe you didn't know that there was something called mild and hot unbundling. Maybe you didn't realize that there was something, you know, travel learning. Maybe you never heard of the gig economy, et cetera, et cetera. So it goes through those three steps and then they either, they can either sign the proposal and we officially start the process or maybe the timing isn't right. Or maybe it's not for them. And something you always want to ask people when you understand the butterfly, the ripple effect, Jerry, is if it's not for you, who do you know that I should talk to? Because some of the best 
people that can refer you out as someone who gets the sense of who you are and why you're in business or why you're doing X, Y, or Z. And then they can share you, if you will, you know, they can share your knowledge through another introduction. So that is the, that is the flow that I've used over the last six years. And again, it's keeping it as simple as possible, but it's also still drilling in and digging deep enough in those couple hours to decide if it makes sense as a win-win like Stephen Covey taught us. Now let's, let's say that you have a, and you work with both the parents and, and kids all together or how does that look like? Altogether, ideally, if the kids are younger than the age of majority, obviously I have to have the approval of the parents or the guardians or grandparents. And if they're 18 plus, like right now I have three late teens. I think, let me see, two of them, I think are 19, one's 20, I believe off the top of my head. And I'm presently helping them. They're in a conventional college and I'm helping them as their mentor because I left coaching behind and I consider mentoring and coaching to be complementary skill sets. And I'm, I decide I want to lean into and provide mentoring. So in that case, they're past the age of majority and I am working with them to fill in some gaps that they're not going to get in that conventional college classroom because the college that they all go to is the same one. And I would say that this college is closer to H-I-G-H-E-R than most, but they're still not teaching enough about small business and entrepreneurship. They're not teaching a complete package of life people soft skills. So that's where I'm mostly filling in the gaps. Got it. Yeah. Working as a, as a mentor to, to give them that, that knowledge and experience. That's, that's great. So I guess if you're working with a family, try to figure out their, their ideal direction. What are some of the high level, high level journey that they would, they would go through to, to get there once they've decided they wanted to, to work with you? Of course. That, I like to say that every family that I work with through the family advisory work and or through the mentoring pathway is going to be very different, certainly. There's a lot of customization, a lot of flexibility. But to simplify it down to some key to some keys, to some keystones, I would say the first is it's probably a minimum going to be three to six months because you need to go through what I'll call almost like a rebirth or a renewal in some cases. Like for example, briefly, I'll go off and give you my own brief piece of my story. And I may have shared this when we spoke previously, Jerry, is it took me about 18 months between meeting my first mentor and actually launching the family life coaching leadership development venture that started me, right? So that was 18 months. So I'm saying a minimum of three to six, okay? And it could be as long as a year. And the way I mostly do my proposals is using a retainer. So a retainer, like an attorney, can be basically you, you, know, you put the key in there and you unlock a certain amount of time and then you turn it back and you lock the door back up, if you will. So a retainer can be renewed and filled back up multiple times. So this could be 18 months like my journey, could be two years. So that would be the time investment. But then the couple things that we need to establish is we need to establish what pathway do you think is most ideal for you? Is it an academia pathway? Is it more of a public service pathway? 
Do you want to work in a more of a corporate, larger entity setting? Or most likely, you probably came to me because you wanted to be entrepreneurial. So that's part of the answer, too, is understanding what pathway you see yourself on. And we can break that down as deep as you want. I also want to understand, again, what, which of those uh, people's interpersonal life skills were you not yet taught? And the vast majority of people I work with don't have them. And, and again, it's, it's a major gap in the system. So that's huge. And then I'd say the last key thing is to understand, generally speaking, and it goes back to that lady you spoke with, are they ready for life, period? And life readiness, college career readiness, and job readiness are very, very different. Awesome. I think that's a, that's a, a great way to wrap up. SJ, is there, is there anything, any other parting thoughts you'd like to, to share with our, our listeners? As, as, so, as you said, there's so much we could talk about today. About any, any final thoughts? The first thought that I'd share, and I appreciate that question. It's a great way to put the little proverbial, you know, the uh, cherry on top of the sundae, right? First is do not be afraid of being an individual. Individualism, when used for the right purposes, building a legacy, being a missionary instead of a mercenary. There's nothing wrong with making a a choice with your path that's different than your neighbors or your brother or your sister or your cousins, etc. Do not be afraid of that. Okay. Another key as you put a capper on things is to always be aware that in a flourishing civil society, we need different types of people with different skills, different values, different vision, dreams, passions, principles, and we need to embrace all of them. And again, I go back to that Adam Smith masterful work, The Wealth of Nations, for that. And then the third and last I'd point to is to don't let the existing status quo speak into you too deeply. Conventional media sources, Conventional political entities, the bigger corporations, they have tremendous amounts of dollars and resources of other kinds invested in the status quo. So it's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just that's where they are. So when you hear about a Google that's actually offering something different, applaud that. And don't think that that's anything but a great thing. And it's a sign of progress because. We're on the cusp as we record this of 2021, and we can't be using a 1984 playbook or a 1992 playbook anymore. So that would be three cherries for the Sunday. All right. Well, we've certainly served up a pretty uh, tantalizing Thanksgiving feast here on uh, Thanksgiving week in the U.S. Uh, SJ, always a pleasure to talk with you. And I know underneath all that knowledge of yours is a real heart of service, and and I thank you for for all you're doing to, to help families and, and young people find a path that, that lights them up, that allows them to, to contribute and be of service as well. And well, we'll leave some, some links to your, your stuff in the show notes where people can find out more about those 12 paths or, you know, how they can contact you if they want to, you know, reach you and, and, and work you some more. And, and eventually we'll, uh, we'll get some, some publications together too and let people know about that. So thanks so much for being on the show today, SJ. 
No, it was a pleasure. And I really, really appreciate this invitation. And I truly hope that I was able to serve and solve for everyone that has chosen to listen. Awesome. Yeah, you certainly did.